wish you hadn't have said that because now I'm singing that song in my head again. It's an image to keep in focus. In the... I'm not picturing him anymore. I'm picturing someone from practice management software. <laughs> God, you were having a go at us about not like going into our heads and you're the one fantasizing about it. If you put that out there and you say that's what you're going to do, I'm just going to think about it for a moment. Don't say it if you don't want the person to think about well, it. Well, we know what we can easily influence Indy with at any point, John. <laughs> if Ryan does smear peanut butter all over his testicles, where it looks like he's been completely waxed down there. How would you know that I'm not completely waxed down there, John? <laughs> oh, do I say this because I know it's now recording? I'll leave it out, Ryan. I went for a consultation for hair removal the other day. What? <laughs> Wait a minute, you don't have any hair. I have some hair. I have some hair here. I might have some hair in other places. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that you've got like braids? From here downwards, it's just hair. <laughs> oh my god, I have the hair. same problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm completely the opposite. So you all sat at the dinner table, wherever you were. i to that again. And, and somebody is then going to put an image in your mind, and you're not going to think, oh, well, just picture that now. You didn't mm. do that, John? No, it didn't really cross my mind. India, it's a male defence mechanism. Growing up, the amount of weird crap that other men say to men, if we imagined all of it, we'd be insane. The stuff that like gets also sent around in WhatsApp groups, you're like, Jesus Christ. Ryan's clearly in the weird WhatsApp groups, yeah. John, I, it's you sending it to me. Hey, if you see me sitting like this, this is part of my recovery because not only have I destroyed my knee, but I've also done something to my back when I fell. Oh, I thought you were just to get your hair on because you've not got much of it. If it comes out right now, I'll collect it in a bowl and we can sellotape it to your head. Oh, if you don't mind. Can you like, try and get it in one thing though? So it just... <laughs> what, like a comb over? Jack Charlton, he had a proper comb over and a wispy comb over that's all flat in the wind. I could probably do that if I grow this long enough and just flap it over. I think it should. That'd be amazing. I don't, I don't think you should, fine. Stick to your hair remover appointment <laughs> and... You... <laughs> you could wear it instead of going over the top you could wear it underneath like a chin strap Why would you do that? speaking of hair some people have shown interest in the john toon stencil and we definitely have to do some sort of bidding scenario maybe at a countax to be honest mm. unless a countax is where it's revealed <laughs> at a countax yeah, okay. it's going to be stenciled in with an axe. <laughs> oh God, Ooh. that's dangerous. <laughs> You're a braver man than me. One Why slip. Why would you do that to yourself? I'm really a glutton for punishment. That seems that I'll actually be able to get to shows this year. You might have to wheel me around in a wheelchair. Oh God. <laughs> well, old. nobody told you to take the piece. Hello and welcome to the Digitals in a Cruel World podcast, the go-to place for your tech news in the accounting industry. I'm Ryan Piercy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, John Toon and Indy Tatler. So, John, you've been mm, a bit dangerous on your last trip. A bit dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say that. I've just come back from a week skiing, and I say that very loosely because I skied for approximately two hours before rupturing my ACL. So I've come back from a week's uh, sitting around in a chalet in Morzine doing a little bit of work and feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> but it's all good. And, uh, Indy, have you ruptured anything? 
only my sense of humor after this conversation. Oh, I feel it's broken. That's probably what we do to you over time, to be honest. <laughs> I definitely learn something new every single week. And then you do encourage me to experiment and try new things. So I'm always quite happy to join you both. <laughs> I was trying to keep my cool then. <laughs> oh, okay, pause. So you're willing to join us for some experimentation is the summary of... No, I'm not joining you for experimentation. I find it interesting to hear about your various experiences and how you perceive anatomy and female and male dynamics. And it makes me think that sometimes I've done all these different things wrongly. So I just feel, yeah, push the boundary a little bit. I mean, there you go. You heard it here first. Indy Not wants really. to push the boundary. Not if anyone push. wants to reach, if anyone wants to reach out to Indy, no, uh, the boundary is high. The boundary is high. <laughs> please please do so. Still <laughs> very high. Just to be sure, no reaching. You can either there. you can either reach out to Indy or reach around Indy. Is that no, right? Boundary is still very high. Take that back. <laughs> Thank you very much. Fair Had enough. a good week. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> cool and. Uh, the only thing I've had is a cold. I've got man flu, as everyone seems to have got some sort of illness over Christmas. I'm feeling a little bit sorry for myself. I'm feeling a lot better than John is. I did also have a tummy bug for a couple of days whilst I was on my crutches. That's an entertaining proposition in itself. That is. Let's quickly move on from that. I don't <laughs> want the graphic detail. And on that note, we should jump into app news. So there's a piece of news that says there's been a sharp rise in corporate insolvency. The number of corporate insolvencies in England and Wales was 76% higher than before the pandemic. There's been some research that was conducted tracking the number of debt relief orders that were issued in December 2022, 76% higher than the 1,119 registered in December 2019. Data that I could see is from the President of Insolvency and Restructuring Trade Body. The data shows that there were 183 compulsory liquidations last month, which is more than three and a half times as many as there were in December 2021. Either which way, there's been a lot of insolvencies. Yeah, it has. <laughs> and more to come. We're only at the start. Insolvencies-wise, not to say it's an insolvency, but we saw that tech has slumped a little bit and Ignition have announced a round of layoffs that are equivalent to 10% of the workforce and more job cuts to follow with other fintechs in this area. Carbon have done the same. They have announced a 23% cut in the size of its team, who announced that just before Christmas. You did a poll on this, didn't you, Ryan? I did. Uh, yeah, we've seen quite a few tech companies. I think Plio was another one, at the back end of 2022. And so I thought I'd ask the audience, you know, who wants to be a millionaire style poll, Find out what do people think? Do we think this is just the start? Do we think it's over? Or do we think mm, the worst has already gone? Nearly two thirds of, of people responded saying that this is just the start. We expect it to get worse as the recession supposedly kicks in. Tech companies will continue to lose or have their funding reduced and therefore have to restructure and potentially cut some of its workforce. Not a brilliant thing for the accounting tech industry and not something that we're looking forward to in 2023. John, any thoughts? 
have you thought? A lot of these, uh, a lot of tech businesses are very human capital based, aren't they? And so the easiest way to save a bit of cost is to remove uh, people from your teams. Um, and if you're a funded business that's uh, that's wanting to achieve either improved cash flow or some kind of profitability improvements, you're going to have to chop something off the bottom line, unfortunately. That almost invariably leads to staffing cuts. I'll be really honest. There was a couple of events last year that I remember thinking, God, people are really spending a lot of money. I did think to myself, I wonder if they're going to be able to see the results from sponsoring and endorsing such big events. If the market is not growing and there's these big pushes for brand awareness, are they going to see the results? Instead of over-accelerating, is it time that people just took first a a more diligent position where it comes to return on investment and Mm. revenue? Definitely. They're going to have to be a bit more prudent in what they're going for and adjust quickly if things aren't working, pivoting. Keaton and I commented on the poll basically saying, do they need to revisit their strategy and look at what hasn't worked and pivot? I wonder if there's going to be an impact on the shows, given that we all went to the vast majority of the shows, the trade shows last year, Countex, Counting Web Live, ZeroCon, obviously not on this year, and a myriad of others. You could see that quite a lot of the investment from some of the vendors that were there was driven by the MTD for ITSA agenda, which obviously now been delayed. And then you've obviously got quite well-publicized layoffs that we're seeing in the market as well. Are those layoffs going to be coupled with a, a reduction in marketing spend as well, which means that either some of these businesses are not going to be at shows or if they are at shows, they're going to be taking smaller stands and what kind of impact does that have for the year to come? Definitely. Maybe we'll see less shows. That is one possibility from this. But going from something that's massively depressing and something that's probably equally as depressing, HMRC is coming out that they can't continue to blame their falling standards on COVID. There was an assessment done by PAC and it revealed that these customer service is becoming far more challenging, especially as inflationary pressures are hampering them and what they can spend their money on. So the customer service employees have decreased from a whopping 20, I say whopping, but it's decreased but from 25,000 down to 19,000. That's a huge cull of, of people. And part of that is to embrace digital systems. But as we keep talking about, the digital systems just aren't really there yet. There's a lot of investment going into them, but they're not delivering because they're not good enough. And so we're in a rock and a hard place at the moment where they're cutting the staff because they're investing in digital systems, but the systems aren't ready for them to cut staff. And there's even part of this report flagged that at high pressures, so high peak times when HMRC have not been able to cope with demand, they have closed their telephone lines. It's nuts. <clears throat> yeah. And, and that reiterates some of the some of the messages and the stories and stuff that I've seen on LinkedIn from accountants who said, oh, I've been on, I was on a, on hold for two and a half hours and the phone just went dead. Or I was on a call with a member of staff and then they just killed the lines and I was halfway through a problem, solving a problem and then had to go back through the whole rigmarole of phoning back and everything else. Yeah, it's madness. The fact that, like you say, Ryan, you and I do digital process improvement projects with clients the purpose of those projects is not there to reduce headcount necessarily within a business it's to enhance the workforce in terms of taking away the mundane to make sure that they can do the more interesting things now that should be the same for hmrc it shouldn't be here's a 
a whole host of new computer systems and now we're going to get rid of 6,000 staff. It should be what better things can we do with those 6,000 staff to better serve the public and the accounting community and everyone else. And unfortunately, that's just not the way that uh, thinking goes in government, is it? Definitely. It's estimated that three billion a year is lost through accidental error from the taxpayer. If, if you know you're solving for the digital systems, the simple stuff, then those staff can be used to educate the taxpayer so they don't make those errors and you're saving three billion a year. It's simple, isn't it, really? But we saw that with MTD Fritz, didn't we? The, the HMRC were not engaged in promoting that at all and we're relying on the accounting community to do that on behalf of their clients. And it's bonkers, really. And that whole, I don't want to make this into an MTD Fritz discussion, this whole thing about the the changes that are still going to happen in 2024, a lot of those changes are going to have to be dealt with manually through HMR systems and for accountants to deal with those manually. Irony is, is that if the MTD timetable had stayed on track, quite a lot of that could have been dealt with in software and could have been accounted for in software and it wouldn't have been as complex to deal with and now it's going to be much more complex and much more manual. So moving on to something a little bit different, Zero have been hitting LinkedIn and doing a little bit of promotion around some of their functionality. Not entirely sure where this is where this has come from but a few people have seen it in terms of zero trying to clear up some misconceptions around what their product is capable of doing and whether it's really a small business tool or whether it should be more more akin to being classed as just a business tool and your scale and size is less relevant i'm not really sure how you guys feel about the videos i've seen the one around the myth busting video which has got my mate Jim in, the man with the most amazing hat at ZeroCon last year. I must admit, I find the video a little bit cringeworthy. As a long-term user of Zero, it feels a little bit unnecessary. I agree with you. It felt awkward. And uh, I, I don't like awkward humour. And so it makes me feel uncomfortable. And that video made me feel uncomfortable. So it could be... I saw lots of positive responses. People were like loving it. But for me, it just felt awkward. Whereas they've done... A different marketing campaign probably came out a week later about the zero practice users, which felt very much more like zero, very about people uh, like telling stories and really getting to the heart of accounting practices. And I don't know how they had such a disconnect between the two different types. It just felt very weird. Zero has the scale and the power to be a really great brand. And when you compare it to like McDonald's, which is also a great brand and the campaign they've done recently with the eyebrows and people looking at each other about whether you're going to get a McDonald's. It was just such a visual identity. And I loved it. And I was like, well, look at this. And I'm like, it's dark and serious and we've really got to engage in it. It's not driving me to then want to find out more. Is that? It's not really a towards motivated campaign. It's like a stick and not a carrot. That's how I feel about ads. I agree with you. I saw the video and I was like, yeah, it's a bit of a nothing. I don't think it makes that much of a difference in the marketplace. I think the people that implement and do stuff with Zero know what it's capable of. Those that don't probably aren't going to see those kind of videos anyway. My expectation is McDonald's and Zero. I have high hopes. Let's <laughs> be honest. Zero have done some great marketing campaigns in the past. They've really hit the mark in certain areas. 
and they've completely missed the mark in certain areas. Like when they brought out that weird robot thing as an advert, that was just weird. But then they've done where they changed the car tire while it was driving along, which is exceptional. It seems to be like huge hit or flop. So the UK government have said that they are considering introducing a digital pound, which is exciting news. Not massively new because quite a few other countries have said that they would consider doing this. This is a land grab for becoming a geography that will deal with cryptocurrencies and things like that. So what we're talking about here is the launch of a stable coin. For anyone that doesn't know, stable coins are in theory pegged to a particular asset. So this one in this instance would be pegged to the pound. And of course, in the world of crypto, there have been issues with other stable coins that have supposedly been pegged to a particular asset and then found not to be. But obviously, this would be released and managed by the Bank of England and the UK government. Hopefully, there's some reliability and some trust in the system. I did pick up as well that the National Bank of Australia had also said that they're exploring doing this. And EU have also started a consultation a couple of years ago on uh, the viability of having stable coins and going to start to legislate for that with an implementation period that will run over the next three years or so. This seems to be a direction of travel. It's going to be interesting to see whether stable coins truly do have a value, whether there's some real world use cases for them in the context of for me and you and everyone else, I guess, in terms of if you're on into online banking, your money is in the bank account, but you don't ever spend it in pure hard cash terms we're spending it digitally probably 99 percent of the time online shopping using our cards etc i question whether stable coins in the general ordinary fiat economy have a value or not in terms of will we want to just shift our 100 pounds in a bank account to 100 pounds worth of uk stable coins and spend that alternatively i don't know we'll see if we're all living in the metaverse in five years' time, then that's a possibility, isn't it? Look, the whole crypto area needs a fire lit under it. It needs something to happen, a spark that reignites it because you've just had collapses after collapses. We'd have Genesis, which is a crypto brokerage, collapse, what, a couple of weeks ago. It's crazy. It's just constantly going. One of my predictions for 2023 was that this would keep getting worse until something like stablecoins came in and reignite confidence in the marketplace. And I believe most countries are talking about this happening in 2024, not 2023. So there's still quite a long time of them deciding how this will work. Okay, moving on from stable coins or unstable coins. Um, we now know that it is a swear word. I think I was right to call it a swear word the last time we recorded chat GPT because it's becoming a swear word. Every man and his dog, if I read another post about it. However, and um, there is an update that Microsoft are looking at OpenAPI's GPT for Word, Outlook and PowerPoint. And they've integrated it into some of their other applications so it should make it easy for you to pretty much write an email that would then be 100% based on chat GPT drafting it and sending it for you it's the use cases that we spoke about before the fact that Bing is going to use it and AI in Windows will at least be a fresh upgrade for it I have to admit I'm not really a big Microsoft user anymore Everything that I've used for the last few years has been in Google, Google Docs, Google Sheets. Someone sent me a PowerPoint earlier and I thought, oh, for God's sake, it's not this God awful thing. 
So it's long overdue now. I'm quite looking forward to this. We're big Microsoft users. There's already reasonably decent AI in Microsoft to some degrees. And then, as you say, indeed, lots of other people will be in the Google suites and Google have some pretty solid AI. But um, I read something earlier on today, I think it was, that was saying that not only are Microsoft looking to do this in terms of their core products, but will also look to enhance their pre-existing AI engine with ChatGPT and enhance that, which has got some fascinating use cases potentially for businesses of all sizes, particularly if you're doing things around robotic process automation, some other types of automation that you could potentially do, or even maybe potentially having like automatic replies to emails and things. There's an even better use case for it for our listeners. Stuart Cobb, the chartered accountant, put ChatGBT to the test to see if it could pass ICAW exam. And it got 42%. We were 50. We did, did we? In the last pod. Did we do that in the last pod? Yeah. Uh, you don't listen to our podcast, do you? I haven't listened to that one yet. But I'm I would... going to leave this in. I'm going to leave this in the recording, actually. <laughs> what are you humiliating me? I am. Shame. Why did, you not, shame. why did you not say that when I put it in the bloody. <laughs> to, the to, be, to be fair, most people fast forward through the bits that Ryan talks on. <laughs> So the guys from Mayday have just released a new feature update, which I know that they've been beta testing and they demoed at ZeroCon in Australia. And the new product is called Brag, which I think from a product marketing point of view is, is a brilliant name. And Brag stands for Bank Reconciliation Across the Group. So this is for anyone that's using Zero for multi-entity groups. I was having a play with it today, actually, because I've got a group that may well use it. So it's good timing. Essentially, what it is, it's a Chrome or an Edge add-in that you have sitting in your browser. And then when you log into Zero in one of your entities, you can look at the bank rate page of one of your single entities as part of a group, then also bring in data from the other entities within the group. So if, for example, which can happen on occasion, or sometimes it can happen quite frequently, let's say you've got one entity that's raised a sales invoice, but the other entities received the cash from a customer because you've got one central treasury function or something like that. You can actually match the bank receipt in one entity with the sales invoice in another entity. And then Bragg will deal with the intercompany recharging between the two as well to match all of that off obviously works the same way with payments and other kind of intercompany transactions so you can deal with the bank reconciliation now across multiple entities so it's a pretty neat little feature had a very brief play with it today and it looks pretty good just one of the enhancements that the mayday team had on their roadmap that they published quite late last year they've got a lot that they want to do this year and they're already releasing things so very promising can i ask a question so it's more just intercompany in the UK. Or does it matter if it's cross-country as well? So I've only used it on UK entities, but I have used the recharger part of the Mayday functionality across multi-currency entities as well. I don't know if the bank rec bit will work multi-currency because I haven't looked at it properly. I would expect that it will. Whether it does it yet, I'm not certain. But because of the main selling point of Mayday is being able to go across multi-entities and multiple countries it makes sense that they do it across multiple countries it does make sense because where it wins out is all those companies that decided to open up something in the eu post brexit and take all their money over there have run it as whatever different yeah. types of entity structures and they're the ones that have the biggest problems so it really only works if 
it's multi-currency, multi-country. Their demo does show multi-currency in Bragg. So I'm going to assume that works, although I haven't tested it. Good job, David Tart. New tattoo, not a new stencil for John. <laughs> Don't need to brag about that, Ryan. Cool. I've got a couple of things from Intuit QuickBooks. So the first one is something that I think we talked about a couple of podcasts ago where QuickBooks were enhancing their banking functionality. They've now released the more advanced find and match feature, and that works across foreign currency bank accounts as well which is quite prevalent in the United Kingdom for the users of QuickBooks. So that'd be quite helpful for anyone that's using that feature. And you've also got the ability, which we didn't talk about last time, they've just released the ability to edit bank rules in bulk. After zero, probably about summer 2022, enhanced their bank reconciliation rules or operations Intuit have done the same and enhanced QuickBooks just about six months later. But the big news from Intuit is the release of the Intuit QuickBooks Business Network, which is the ability to link potentially millions of small business QuickBooks licenses together. Now, we've talked about e-invoicing, the way you can send invoices from one entity to another and through different systems. QuickBooks have now essentially created something that's far more advanced than what was the zero to zero network key. So you can make a request or yeah, send out something to someone else that's in your QuickBooks network, there's a customer, et cetera, saying, I want to connect. If they accept that, then you have the ability to potentially share sales invoices and receive those as bills directly into your system, as well as potentially enabling payments. Now, the payment side, I believe, is only over in the US at the moment. I'm not certain on whether the QuickBooks business network is all countries, the way they talk about it is very generic and should be across all jurisdictions, but this is something that will probably be announced in QuickBooks Connect in the UK in early March, if it is not out yet in this area. But it's huge. The ability to send this across, it's something that will cut across the need for things like Dext, auto-entry, all of those invoice scanning tools. But if you're inside the QuickBooks network, you can just collaborate directly with your other peers inside the same network. Sounds moderately exciting. But then it's not dissimilar from what the guys at Nook are doing over here in the UK. Funky little lap, slowly gaining traction here, but trying to do a very similar thing where it sits in the zero marketplace at the moment, but their ambition is to widen that out and allows you to do something very similar from what it sounds like, as well as using some open banking tech to verify your suppliers within your supply chain. So not only... Are you able to pass invoices digitally between customer and supplier, but you're also able to verify that they are legitimate and that the bank details that you hold from them are legitimate. So it secures your payments when you come to that point in time as well. I've got a little bit of extra news as well from Intuit on the MailChimp product. So something that I acquired a wee while ago now. And uh, MailChimp are launching two minor enhancements. One is called Campaign Manager and one is Webhooks. Campaign Manager is coming to MailChimp customers that have the standard and premium plans from the 25th of Jan. And essentially what you will be able to do with Campaign Manager is you'll be able to collate much more of your information that sits within MailChimp so, so you can have a better understanding of what's happening with your marketing. You can also plan ahead and you can make adjustments. And so it's essentially 
looks a little bit, it feels a little bit like a dashboard, which is just giving you more data on your campaign so you can tweak them along the way. And one of the key things that bring you into that is this idea of omni-channel marketing. So you're going through different platforms to be able to do marketing at different levels. And the other bit that they're bringing in, which is the webhooks, is the ability to trigger actions. So for anyone that does anything around robotic process automation or has done anything with the likes of Zapier and things like that, they're essentially using webhooks to trigger activity in the background. By opening this out, you can now start to connect MailChimp potentially to lots of other things. So some of the suggestions that they've talked about is about connecting third-party SMS, so text providers, so that you can start sharing information via text as well as via an email campaign, for example. Just a couple of little bits that are coming out from MailChimp. So always fascinating to see what's going on with those guys. And another one, poster Sage Earth release. Ecology is now in the Zero App Store. Zero have announced that the Bristol-based climate tech startup Ecology is available in the Zero App Store, so the business UK businesses can track and reduce their impact on the environment. So Ecology Zero, which is a simple to use, accurate carbon accounting platform can be used for free and it allows businesses to measure their emissions zero made a pledge to offset their carbon emissions and they are taking that very seriously guessing that this is very standard format have you guys come across this in the zero app store have you seen it i found it a little odd the amount of attention that zero threw at this considering that there's lots of carbon reduction systems that connect into zero probably just because of how big ecology is i was trying to see if they're doing a deeper partnership but i can't see anything official anywhere just seem to make a big song and dance about it probably because of the announcement of sage earth recently just to go we've got stuff as well which they do and ecology is a great platform and ecology zero just to clarify spelt with a z not an x could be confusing when it being integrating into zero but it's a great tool. I'm familiar with it from a personal point of view because I know that my brother's used it to offset his carbon emissions when he's travelled in bits and pieces. And I think that's where ecology started out was on the personal side of people that wanted to do things like offsetting. But they have moved into the business side and that's where the zero integration comes from. I was talking to another accountant today about the transition to digital and what how that's affecting businesses. And one of the things we want to talk about is how you can start to use digital tools like Ecology, like Sage Earth, to help businesses with their environmental impacts. And uh, one of the things that I quite like about Ecology, which when we talked about Sage Earth on a previous pod, which it doesn't do at the moment, is it's much better at going through your supply chain and really getting into the nitty gritty of what the potential impact of your supply chain is on your businesses overall carbon emissions and wider environmental impact so one of the issues personally that i have when i've used some of these tools in the past is they're a bit a little bit too generic not specific enough so i haven't used ecology for business i'll be really interested to see what that looks like but if it is much more specific and gives you more granular detail on the potential areas that you can make a significant impact on then that's all good for me i was looking at ecology for business uh... The other thing I liked about Ecology is it goes all the way through to the offsetting system all the way is part of it. So as well as assessing your offsetting, you're doing it all in one. Linking through to this, talking about green, I do love 
zero app store release and one that caught my eye was a lawn and garden maintenance system called sortscape i thought they're getting so specific now that they've got an app just for managing your route planning time tracking and customer messaging if you are a gardener i thought that was brilliant made me smile it's when they launch one for beauticians it's called manscape you gotta worry rant of the week this is our rant of the week we need a little buzz thing like that. Rant of the week. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be it. <laughs> so I came across something on LinkedIn that I'd really like your opinions on. Martin Galber, who's a certified QuickBooks Online, huge fan of QuickBooks, self-declared huge fan of QuickBooks, took to LinkedIn to rant about QuickBooks. Basically, as a quick summary of what went on, he cancelled his payroll subscription inside the QuickBooks app, and that resulted in a number of odd errors occurring in the system. Basically, his entire QuickBooks subscription was cancelled. He was unlinked from his professional account, and no one at Inchip was able to resolve this. They'd suggested creating second user IDs, being able to extract information, but not have anything workable. And he ended up chasing and hassling various different levels of people. So you had executive vice president, chief technology officer, they had chief people and places officer, uh, executive vice president and general manager uh, and of the small business and self-employed group, and then even reached out to the chief executive officer and founder to try and get a response going, can someone help me? And he just said, everyone blanked him. That is shocking. I have had a client that was getting so fed up with zero that he somehow found Gary Turner's email address, contacted him and he got it sorted. He got it sorted straight away. So I was surprised by this, but I'd like to get your take on it. For all of the noise about having a telephone support system and how that makes you better than other products, clearly it failed in this instance, but look, Sometimes when you're using SaaS technology, stuff can go wrong. And I read this post with interest because it was a proper shit sandwich, wasn't it? In terms of it was like, oh, I really do love QuickBooks, but then I'm going to give them an absolute panning. And then some suggested solutions. It's always difficult to read between the lines of what has gone wrong and whether this is all down to Intuit and QuickBooks' fault or whether there's some elements of user error or miscommunication along the way. If, if the post is true, then it's a pretty shocking collapse of QuickBooks' system. The biggest thing that caught my eye was the fact that they said they would carry on billing him until the problem was resolved and then he could raise a, a separate query about being billed for a product he doesn't have access to, which I thought was pretty shoddy. <laughs> That's so rubbish. Is it QuickBooks' own call centre help centre that manages this or is it an outsourced? I think it's their own as far as I know, but I don't because know for I sure. Johan had told us that they do such a good job normally and that was the one thing I think that in the interview that we had between Zero and QuickBooks is that if there's a problem you can just get on the phone and get someone to resolve it. I, the difference here is that this was such an odd anomaly that I'm guessing the people on the end of the phone had no idea how to resolve it because it was such an oddity that it needed to get escalated it needed to go to someone that could actually go this needs to be fixed and he just could not get that to happen, no matter what he tried. Admittedly, Intuit did 
reply to his post and give him an email address to respond to. So they were at least monitoring it and reached out. Hopefully he's got a solution now, but it takes someone that it pushes someone to their limits when they go full on rant about a situation they're in, even when they're self-declared lover of the system they're ranting about. I have the same experience, except with Network 3, who I praised in the summer last year. And now I'm just done after a month of going through their call centers. I'm just done. I mean, it seems like in this day and age, you have a call center, but you have lots of out of hours and the out of hours only see a certain element for like unsociable hours. So that's why I'm wondering whether QuickBooks has done the same, whether they've layered around it someone that's a third party who doesn't have access to all elements of the system and therefore only diagnosing like the top level of what they can see. And all they do is really, they're just answering the calls is just, yeah, but computer says no, but <laughs> you know, just log it as case. so We can log it and say, I'm sorry. I do wonder whether this is just a sign of the times. Does HMRC are saying no calls can get through the same experience with some of the gas providers, the network providers recently, and now the accounting softwares. Is it any different, really? Is everyone's experience pretty much the same? Maybe. If anyone is struggling to access our podcast, please reach out to John Toon. He will help you diagnose any problems you're having. And you can call him whatever time of day you day, want. To day honest. or night. <laughs> he will always answer. <laughs> you can't do anything yeah. else now. He's stuck in a chair. <laughs> Particularly if you're from a vendor, you know who you are, the people that I dodge. <laughs> One take, Conrad. Come on. Oh, it's a good nickname. I don't think anyone would ever call me One Take. I've done the Today programme twice, which is like live radio, and that's just terrifying. Right? Yeah. I swore after the second time I'd never do it again, because for 48 hours beforehand, all I could think about was that two-minute interview stop. The least productive business task I've ever done. You didn't get anxious about this before we spoke. Did I keep you awake for 48 hours? Please yeah, tell me yes. exactly what's happened. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's only excitement. Well, you're not new to this industry, so it's a pleasure to be able to see you back, your you face back. I'm actually an accountant as well, so... Uh, yeah. Which makes you it even more exciting. If there was a different category to Conrad, then I can assure you it's the same category, so I'm actually a qualified accountant. Hence why, when we were talking about neobanks recently, and we were talking about some of the things that we're expecting in the financial climate this year, I thought, who can I speak to about this that could deliver some value, has been recently topical, whose previous company had just sold prior to Christmas, and you have just closed a big series round with Alica. Conrad Ford, introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Conrad, uh, long, long time ago, I qualified as an accountant. I still remain an accountant. I'm a senior accountant for those that care, which, of course, is people on this podcast. I'm probably most well known as the founder of Funding Options. So I was the sole founder of Funding Options, which many of you will know, and indeed many of you will work with. It helps SMEs and their accountants to find the right type of finance. So I founded that business a decade or so ago and scaled it up and stood down as CEO about three years ago. I'm currently at a relatively new challenger bank. It is a bank called Alica Bank, which is focused on what we call internally the established SME segment. So we're very focused on serving a type of business that actually will probably be the type of client that most of the listeners to this will have will work with. 
That sounds great. And how did it feel seeing funding options go to Tide just before Christmas? Because you wrote about it on your LinkedIn and it, it was a big moment from my perspective, look outside looking in Neobank, e-money license, wants to deploy credit to the customer base, has done some of that before. Not quite sure if it's an accounting software masquerading as a Neobank or a Neobank that does some accounting software on the side. That bit, we can answer that another day. But how did you feel about the funding options acquisition and what do you think it means for the market? I was very happy for the gang, right? I would like to feel that I've always felt a real sense of stewardship running funding options. In other words, you feel accountable for those that were firstly invested in you. I took the leap of faith, but also those that joined. And actually, I believe I put in my LinkedIn post, and I meant this, by the way, that I, to the extent I ever had imposter syndrome, I didn't have a huge amount of it, just to be clear, but I did sometimes have moments where I'd kind of look around the office and there were some extraordinarily talented people. We had 80 of the best people in London working at funding options. I kind of, you know, some of them felt surely they could do something better than work for me. It was an amazing team and it was really good to see them reach the conclusion because, of course, I wasn't around there for the exit, which is the final job of the founder. So not being around, I was happy to see them go to a good home. Look, Tide is a business I have a huge amount of respect for. Interestingly, a lot of people would have assumed that I would see Tide as a competitor to my current role, but actually we're really not because we're focused on a very different part of the SME segment. So I was happy for the team and really good to see the news, basically. So you reference that Tide's not really a competitor to Alica, which is where you currently are. Maybe you can break down where you see Alica sitting in the space when it's compared to its contemporaries. Well, look, if you're going to use very round numbers, there's about 5 million SMEs in the UK and 90% of those are micro businesses. They're actually really small. That's the kind of segment that you would associate Tide with, right? So it's a very, new, very, very numerous segment, at least 90% of, of the SME population. Alica Bank is focused on what we would call established SMEs or established businesses. So our typical customer would be a business with turnover in the millions with a significant number of employees, maybe dozens of employees. There's only about half a million of those, depending on how you measure them. But the bit that kind of gets lost in the noise is actually a much bigger economic segment. So micro-businesses, although they're very numerous and they're important, our employment statistics, et cetera, it's the M in SME is actually a much more important economic segment. It represents about a third of the economy. So who's a typical Alica customer? Well, you go to a town that you've never been before and you accidentally drive down into an industrial estate and have to do a U-turn and there's warehouses, factories, et cetera. Those are Alica customers, as are the hotels, the larger shops on the high street. So we're there to serve that segment. And it's a, one that we think has been left behind by traditional banks. And I know every fintech player would claim that the big banks are useless at doing what they do. But there's a reason as to why the big banks struggle with our customers. And I think this will resonate with lots of accountants in practice because they see the other side of this. The really big banks, they make the vast majority of their money from two polar opposite segments, 30 million households, consumers, which is very high volume, simple, homogenous and a few thousand very large corporates, the Vodafones of this world, who are very complex, but very, very high value to banks. Now, the micro-business segment, those 5 million or so mini-businesses, you can get by by servicing them on a consumer banking platform. They're pretty simple. And actually, when you lend to them, you really lend to the person. But our customers, they're really awkward because they're too complex for consumer banking. 
they're too low value for corporate banking. And as a result, they've had this huge degradation of their service. You go back 10 years ago, they had an expert relationship manager in their local branch. Now many of them can actually get a call center at most. And that's really led to a real degradation of banking services to those customers and particularly lending. Hmm. We have service as some of those larger clients who aren't big enough for one-to-one corporate relationship with the bank, but instead by the nature of what they do, need some sort of ongoing facility and are happy to then look at spot factoring as an option but it means they've had to be proactive enough to find a solution that works for them when it comes to Alica and the growth plan to work with more of these SMEs is this something that you're finding there's a lot of inbound attention from SMEs who are responding to the offer that you have or Because most of the news that we've seen from Alica is around growth through acquisition. So how do you see that shaping your roadmap going forward and working with those SMEs directly or indirectly? What's the plan? Yeah, so we really ended 2022 with two key milestones. The first one is we've just raised a significant round, £100 million, which you touched on earlier, from a major investor. They're a global investor that's invested in the likes of Netflix, Spotify, Airbnb. So a major global investor. And actually, we've been profitable since the summer of last year as well. So we start with a position of extraordinary opportunity for growth. But also, in terms of our product range, we're ready to be a full-service bank for our customers. So we've been lending very successfully, particularly in commercial property, for some time now. But actually now we offer a wide range of lending products and also current accounts and savings. And interesting, business savings has suddenly become really fashionable as businesses begin to worry about their money not earning interest. And we're seeing a lot of interest there. So this year is the year that we all bring it together. And actually accountants for me is a really crucial channel. It's fair to say in many areas of the broker community, we've established ourselves as the leading player in the market for commercial finance brokers. We do actually have some direct channels, but for me, accountants are the crucial middle ground because it's accountants that understand which of their clients need finance. And indeed, accountants have a good understanding of what finance needs there are. A good example there is commercial property, right? So um, let's talk through the challenge that a typical accountant has when a client needs a commercial mortgage. Well, the problem is it's a very complex market. It's constantly changing. And actually, it's difficult to stay on track of who's in the market. And when I talk to accountants, again and again, I hear the same story. They've got a client, an important client, has been waiting for months from the big bank, often weeks, sometimes months, to get any kind of decision out of that bank. Alica prides itself on the speed and confidence of its lending decisions. We will typically, and things fluctuate a bit over time, but typically will work to around two working days from an application to an offer in commercial property lending. We offer a level of service that's dramatically better than the incumbents. And that's partly because we have much better digital capabilities, but it's also because we care a lot more about the segment. We only exist for this segment, so we really do care. So really for us, the opportunity is basically to fill that gap that's been left by the retrenchment by the big banks. I mean, I guess you say accountants is a big part of that plan because they are the conduit to most businesses understanding that finance landscape and the best options for them. What type of accountants are you after? There's such an array and a mix and you're an accountant yourself, but when it comes to that space, do you have plans to be more visible this year at some of the events that are taking place? What types of accountants are you looking for? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Firstly, yes, 
one of my responsibilities at Alec was marketing. I'm on the executive team. Marketing is one of the a number of things that I'm responsible for. So the accountancy segment is definitely a focus area. I fully expect that most of the people listening to this have not heard of Alec before this podcast, but it is my intention by the end of this year that that would not have been the case. We're very much intending to actually grow our presence in the accountancy segment over the coming year which I'm really excited about, right? It allows me to go over some grounds because I have a, those that know funding options will know that they know a thing or two about the segment. So um, that, that's the plan. How am I intending to do that? Well, <laughs> yes, I may attend the odd conference, but above all else, we really want to start shoe leather. We're going to burn some shoe leather and actually go and meet some real accountants. In terms of which, account, which types of accountancy practices, well, clearly the very big four is probably not our target zone. So to put some numbers in our typical or average commercial mortgage would be in the sort of hundreds of thousands of pounds range. We announced literally today that we're now lending up to 10 million. We certainly would see ourselves as highly relevant to the mid-sized practices, uh, the regional practices, and the kind of smaller um, regional practices as well. Uh, and of course, there are some solar trading accounts or single uh, um, practices that actually do quite a lot of corporate finance. Fundamentally, if you've got a, a business that has um, secured finance needs, then we would like to think we're an amazing option. Great. Well, thanks for giving us a little teaser and a taste of what it is that we can expect from Alica this year. Thanks for joining us. And we will definitely find out some more about you throughout the course of the year, I'm sure, and hear more about Alica and the exciting plans that you've got for accountants. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Top tips. We're going to do some top tips. The networks. John, do you want to kick it off? Make yourself useful, mate. Yeah. So emerging from the self-assessment season so the shows aren't all going ahead in the same way or they are going ahead either which way we're emerging from the cold winter and we are now spending more time building more personal and professional networks there's a couple that I'm part of for the accounting tech world which I've mentioned on previous podcasts I'm also part of a very loud WhatsApp group, which is with the Startup Leadership Programme. often hear a lot of different accountant recommendations in that same group. But what's the score? Which networks are you part of? Because obviously mine are more for fintech apps and business generally. Which networks should people be investing more time in this year? I am a member of quite a lot of random Facebook groups which are always useful to be part of because they're always useful to see the types of questions that people are asking. And quite often there are some of the startup vendors in there as well, just pitching in product ideas and things. There's quite a few zero ones. Heather Smith, who maybe quite a few people will know, who's based over in Australia, runs a zero mastermind group. That's probably one of the key ones that I'm part of. And then Matt Flanagan also runs the... Uh, Advise the Essentials. What you said. <laughs> so why am I members of them? There's always some interesting chat in there. Some of them are specific to the UK. Some of them are international. And so it's good to see the types of questions, the types of conversations that are being had. So for example, the other day, there was a question from the team at Patron, which is a product both Ryan and I are familiar with having been involved with the Early Adopters Hub, and they've come through there early early last year, in terms of just talking about what kind of phraseology they should use when they're talking about payments to groups of people, whether that's suppliers to contractors to to employees, for example, and whether that should differ or vary across various geographies. Possibly not the most exciting thing to talk about, but massively relevant to 
to people in terms of just understanding a product and making it a little bit more user-friendly. I'm also part of a group for Simpro, part of a group for Dext as well, and a few others for some of the products that we use in the practice. I'm in similar groups to you, John. I am in the Swingers. Advisory Essentials one. What? Swingers. <laughs> swingers. I'm in the Swingers group. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in App Advisory Essentials. And yeah, it's helpful, but it has gone quiet. And I have been getting a bit frustrated with that. So we have recently launched a systems advisory network. We stuck this on LinkedIn probably two, three weeks ago, seeing if anyone would like to join. We've had over 30 applicants so far. And for any of those businesses that do systems advisory and want to enhance it to the next level, want to learn from their peers and also collaborate more because we can't do everything. And so collaboration generally benefits everyone. So if you want to join, just reach out, hit me a message on LinkedIn and I'll send you an invite. You've had quite a lot of interest in that, haven't you? Yeah, it's going well, especially it was only one LinkedIn post so far, really mm-hmm. being quite vague about what it was in the first place. So there'll be a lot more coming out. But as well as our assistance advisory network, we do have one for the tech products as well, run by Mr. Toon. Is it App Insiders? Is that what it's called? I believe that is the case, Ryan. Yeah. And you can come and squeeze the juicy melons of knowledge in that group. Nice. So there's also pronation. Yep, that's that's a little bit different. Sorry, that is a little bit different because it's paid, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And it's aimed at smaller firms, I think, that are looking for the specific skills that the three people involved in that can bring. Carl, Lucy and Will in terms of an element of coaching, an element of assistance with like things like business development, business planning for your practice and things like that. I have seen that Sam Mitchum, I think, is a member. She's always posting about it. So... I believe she is part of it. And uh, Sam has, seems to do very well, both on LinkedIn and with her business. So she's a testament. She was a member before they were pronation because they only just came out or a member after. I, I think, think she's she was. An advocate member. Yeah. What does that mean? I think she's in. I think <laughs> Don't ask in these questions. <laughs> very early doors because Sharon Pocock and Emma Fox is involved as well because they're in with the in crowd, aren't they? Cool kids go. Yep. That's why we're not there. God damn. Come and join us. Come and join us. We'll get 2023 chat vibing and it'll be fun and exciting. Yeah, if you want some free banter, come join our network. And also you get to see the app news. See behind the scenes of what goes into this very crafted podcast, not randomness that indie is a goddess at editing wow people don't know that do they now they do and that brings another show to an end we hope that you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoy recording we do love to hear from our listeners so please reach out to us on linkedin twitter both via digitals in a cruel world but also as individuals as john toon indy taylor and ryan piercy we'd also be ever so grateful if you could find a time to leave us a review give us five stars And we'll even read out what you say on the pod. So please hit us up. Tune next time for more insights and banter. Boom. (laughs) We watched a hockey match, a women's hockey match, the Milton Keynes team. They smashed it. Huh? 
Ice hockey, I assume. Ice hockey, yes. The Milton Keynes Falcons won 5 1. Well done, Milton Keynes Falcons. <clears throat> I assume that's a female team that Zero are yet to sponsor. Yeah, that's true. They did Being not have a sponsorship. So, Zero, get your checkbook out. The checkbook. That'd be into it. Talked about the wrong company, though. <laughs> oh, John. <laughs> It's good to know that your ACL being ripped to shreds has not affected your sense of humour. I tell you, one of the other added advantages of having a broken ACL is that you uh, can't go on top. Also, laziness leads to that. You know what? You'd have a lot of trouble if you wanted to try and emulate Mr. Carbon, wouldn't you? <laughs> we don't know what the end of that conversation was. It sounded like he was very open with the use of other tools, which I can get behind him. You'd have to get behind him to do that. <laughs> I just can't believe that was dinner conversation. Anyway, moving on. The one thing I'm not allowed to do is I'm not allowed to do the old... <laughs> Why are you not allowed to? It's forbidden, because it's too childish. <laughs> That's the only thing you're not allowed to do. <laughs> I was saying about I don't imagine <laughs> I have a weird thing of that conversation occurring at some point <laughs> yeah if you do that again I'm going to punch you in the face <laughs> it's the bit where you go <laughs> never sure if that's deemed acceptable anyway is it Indy oh, I don't know I haven't had it <laughs> some more fun individuals Indy Lorry drivers. They're <laughs> <laughs> known for me. Have you ever had a, a lady do comical things to your body? Strange that men can think of things that they should then no. do with comical John. sounds to a lady's body. What's that contraption <laughs> where you drop a ball, it goes clop, clop, clop. Uh, <laughs> Have you had that done to you? I'm not sure they work that way, to be honest, isn't <laughs> If they're as small as ball bearings as well, you've got a problem. <laughs> That's what the WhatsApp groups are for, indeed. I love the fact that it's like, it makes no sense to me. As if this is supposed to make sense. I actually feel sorry for all female kind. We just don't joke enough about, with like, you flapping your bits and whatnot. Just smacking it. <laughs> smacking it. Just walking up and smacking it. You know about the secret code in the helicopter dance, don't you, Indy? Depending on the direction of rotation. No. Depends on which hemisphere you're in. Ah, uh, the water goes down the plug hole thing, isn't it? That it's supposed to change the direction it goes in. Oh when yeah, you're yeah, yeah. Hemisphere. He's basically saying that the rotation of the helicopter goes the other direction when you're in the southern hemisphere. But this is a man playing games with himself and then a man choosing to also play games on a female what i'm asking you is what games does the female play then on the man or do they do that that thing that i see men do to each other does someone just go oh bell tap and then just what you see what men do to each other you're like bell tap and then just like a ding it's what not like you, some what, sort what of like sites have you been on? What sites have you been on, Indy? You know what? You, 
we should really get to work. I think at the next show, I'm going to wear a cup because I just do not trust what you're going to do. <laughs> if I, next time I see you, you just come up to randomly cut to us and go. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why does yours look like a keypad? I need to go to the doctor, mate. 